Welcome to the Geek Geek Podcast, where we hack the planet. I'm Void, and I'm here with my co-host, Beach. Hack the planet! I guess we could, in a way. Um, today, we want to talk a little bit about Watch Dogs Legion, because I've been playing this one, and it's interesting. I don't know. I want to talk about it, even though I don't like love it as a game. Spoilers for this episode, right. I guess. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's fascinating. So maybe we start with, like, what do you know about it? Because I'm the one who's been playing it, not you. I know very little about this one. I know that there are an absurd number of player characters. I know that they all have like routines that go through, uh, that they go through during the day and as you're playing. And I know that there are drones that apparently people can sit on. That's one of the things that I've seen that people are like finding giant drones to ride. And that is essentially everything I know about this game. Uh, in turn, I haven't even seen gameplay since it was first announced at whatever con it was. I mean, you kind of hit the main, some of the main things, so you're not far <laughs> off. Um, it's, I don't know, it's an Ubisoft game. It's like an open world. It's an alternate modern day or like slightly beyond modern day, but not super far future or anything like that. Um, but the world that it is, is like, it's more connected than our world is where like everything is i mean not that everything's not connected right now but you know one or two more steps than where we're currently at um and it's kind of this like police state our militias like are suppressing the populace kind of it's almost like fascism is on the rise which is hits a little too close to home and yeah, you that's know, something that when it was going on, like when I first saw the the announcements for it, I guess a year ago, maybe that was kind of the way I felt about it. It was like, this is, you know, I'm all about commentary and games and art and everything, but I'm like playing this might be uncomfortable. Yeah. And so, OK, so I want to get back around to that, but I wanted to hit on a couple of the other things first. Um I, I should say, first off, that like I tried the first two Watch Dogs games and I never really got into them. Um, I tried and I, I bounced off pretty fast. But this one looked a lot interest, a lot more interesting because of the idea of these procedurally generated characters that have different strengths and weaknesses. And you get a whole roster of characters that you can build up and then swap between them. And this guy might be good at construction and have one set of abilities. And this person over here is a super spy. And this person's an old grandma. Like it, that was the part that really got me to like pull the trigger and getting this game and right. i have to say that like the procedurally generated characters they work well for being fun and like goofy but because of the nature of the procedurally generated characters there's no actual character development in this game because everyone has to be enough of a generic placeholder that you can put them as like the primary character in any scene so it's oh, kind of okay. it's kind of weird um it works best if you kind of lean into the absurdity and you can almost like role play them in your head, right? But the game doesn't do it for you. And I think that's one of the reasons that I'm feeling the way I feel about it because none of the characters feel like a main character because of the nature of the thing. They just can't be. Um, now, are there characters that are that are main characters? One thing I don't know about this game is whether or not you have a core group of of player characters that were designed by the dev team to play and the procedurally generated ones came as uh, kind of side characters or is every last person that you're able to play as one of these uh, uh, 
citizens, I suppose. So every character that you control is one of these procedurally generated characters. They do have like a main roster of characters, but it's really like your handler and like the antagonists. And there's like a placeholder protagonist in the intro that you play as, but none of them are actually like core to the story. They're interacting with your roster of characters. Um, and the, the thing is, like, your roster of characters is interesting. It's one of the most interesting parts of the game, right? Like, when the game starts, it just gives you a choice of, like, here's, like, 16 characters. Here are all their strengths and weaknesses. Just pick one and start. And so I picked... Uh, I just picked an old lady who had a really good Wi-Fi plan or like uh, an LTE cell phone plan. She had 6G, you know, she could download things faster than anyone else. And I was like, well, you're as good as anybody <laughs> else in here. Let's download things. I have no idea. I hadn't played the game yet. Um, so that was Rosemary. And then I moved on later to Nadine. She's also my old gray haired lady who she can cause phones to shock their owner and sometimes her like hacks will like propagate to other things near them so that's pretty cool and then eventually i got this guy named brett who he is an electronic beekeeper who has cyber <laughs> bees and he can seek them on people and then sometimes he makes those bees explode and like there's a construction worker that i have i don't remember his name but he has a giant wrench and then he can also summon drones so that he can fly in the sky like this is the most interesting part of the game. Um, wow. There's there's a lot there, and it's impressive, but it just, I don't know, it doesn't quite do enough, and it doesn't quite stick the landing, which is sad because there are so many interesting concepts in here. That sounds really cool, and that was that's the way I felt about the game when I first saw it. It's not a game I think that I would want to play. It's a demo that I would like to try. It's a game that I would like to see other people play. I could totally see myself watching streams of this game or doing the PlayStation thing where you hop on and uh, watch somebody else play. But I don't know if, for just for me and the kinds of games that I like, if this has enough meat to it to really keep me interested because of the because of the nature of how the characters are that without being able to relate to one of the characters I'm not sure if I'd be able to get into it but all of this stuff that you're doing sounds really really cool yeah it it feels like if you're the right kind of person that can invest yourself in the characters or like role play them a little bit more or you know mentally lean in that direction it might be a really good game for you um I've been able to a little bit and have fun, but I'm just not that kind of person at my core. So I'm kind of I'm kind of seeing the extent of what's there, and I'm stalling out on it. Um, but despite that, it is fun to hack stuff, and you mess around with all the technology in the world. You can basically like hack everything around you. So you can jump into cameras and like look around, and you know, kind of like pre-scout an entire base by like doing CCTV ca cameras. Um, okay, and. You can do other things like you have robotic drones that you can throw on the ground that are like little spider bots, or you have drones in the air that you can take over, or you can get a construction drone that you can ride on, and then you can basically fly through the sky. Like, there are a lot of cool concepts in here. It's just that at the end of, after you've messed around with those systems, right? And this is where I had fun. I probably had fun for the first like six hours of this game, just experimenting with the character procedurally generated thing, you know, um, upgraded the, the tech a little bit and then playing around with all of the tech and figuring out what I can hack, what kind of drones I can do, what I can do with the various drones, because all of them have slightly different controls and abilities. Um, all of that was interesting. But then 
once you get over that initial like oh here's some here's some new stuff that's fascinating the actual moment to moment gameplay of the game just like wasn't enough to hold my attention it's a big open world london but there's just not enough to do in it and it it suffers from some of that gta problem where you'll get your next mission and it's like halfway across town which means you have to get in a car and drive for 10 minutes and it's just like that's not enjoyable moment-to-moment gameplay. I hate that. Why do games do that? I have never understood, unless the unless the driving and traversal is fun, like Spider-Man, I don't understand why games do it. Like GTA games have always, since GTA 3, uh, got, have gotten on my nerves because they make you drive so far and the driving doesn't feel good. And I've talked to GTA fans who have said that the driving doesn't feel good. And I don't know why they keep like this is a thing in this kind of game. Yeah. And this one suffers from the same problem. I mean, it gets better because you get fast travel points as you unlock more of the map. But like anytime there's a new area in the map that you haven't been to before, you're going to have to get in a car and drive and it's going to take way too long. And the other thing is that like at various points, like it kind of forces you to escalate the situation to the point where you kind of go loud, right? Because one of the pitches of this game is that you can approach it a variety of ways. You can be super stealthy. You can hack your way in. You could just sneak past guys, or you can go in loud with like guns blazing. And there are points where it forces you into going loud. And there are also points where the game just isn't designed well enough to keep up with the stealth. So it like forces you into it in a way where you didn't intend to and the game didn't necessarily intend to but like it's just the way the systems are set up and that's really frustrating for me because stealth is so much better in this game than going loud with weapons and just guns blazing but even when i'm doing stealth in this game it's nowhere near as good as most stealth games that i like so it's like the the moment to moment gunplay doesn't hold up the moment to moment stealth play doesn't really hold up to like you know an assassin's creed or a hitman or like those type of games that i like um the fun part is when you're hacking things and interacting with things that's the unique thing on offer here but it's just the other parts around it don't support that enough in my opinion yeah and that that stinks because this game could have been so I don't even I don't even want to say this game could have been so great because I'm I actually think this game might be great for certain people. It's just it seems like this game hit just a little off the mark in what it was going for. Uh, yeah. Just hearing about it. Well, and it just it doesn't quite have enough substance there. Like I'm not saying it's a bad game because I don't think it is at its core. It's just like the main story is kind of meh. And the systems aren't as complex or as layered as the type of games that I typically like. And it just feels like enough of the little pieces just kind of missed the mark a little bit um, that it just didn't click for me. But I could see there are people out there that this game would click for. And I'm I'm really happy for them that they have the game because there's no way that this is just it's not a bad game. Right. It's just not quite working for me. This is a game that I can see myself next year grabbing when it's on sale, probably on like the PlayStation Store or Steam when it goes like on super sale when it's like the uh, the $15 kind of, uh, oh, this was last year, a big one last year, but eh, everybody who played it wanted to pay six, everybody who wanted to pay $60 has already done it. That's when I can see myself actually getting this game because it sounds interesting enough that i would like to play it but there is no way i can see investing 60 bucks in it right now well and the other thing going on here are the politics and it's not i'm not even gonna lean into the 
politics side so much, but as like, <laughs> here's, here's how I would explain it. I wonder how much better the premise for the story would have been before 2020. And that's when they came up with it, right? Because games take multiple years to develop. Like this didn't all happen this year. They've probably been working on this game for three, four years. That's usually um, a AAA development cycle. And the story here is like, um, you're in the UK, you're in London. It's being oppressed by both kind of, kind of the police force and kind of this like paramilitary organization and big brother, right? Like they can see everything because everything is connected. That's the basic premise here. And, you go around and you like free different districts of the city. You don't even free them, but you go around and you're like, oh, I'm going to download some pro- like some information about them that I can put out on the news or I'm going to hack their propaganda and replace it with my propaganda or I'm going to take pictures of something that's going to make the public upset. And it just it feels so completely out of step with the year that we've just had because this is a year where we watch civil unrest in the real world result in like the burning of police stations, mass protest, right? Huge conversations about racial inequality and fascism and all of these kind of things that are going on in the real world. And all of that happened and it feels like nothing changed. Like huge mass protests, like places were burned, right? And Nothing has changed in our system. Like conversations have happened, but no real systemic change has happened. And to see a game like this, where you can go and you can hack a couple things to change like a billboard of propaganda and you can download some materials and be like, oh, now I have dirt on them. And then the city goes into like uprising or like they're defiant now. It just feels so completely out of step with the real world. And there's no way they could have planned for it right? There's no way that they knew 2020 was going to be what it was, but it's like this story just completely misses the mark at this point. And of course they couldn't delay it, that this is one of those things because it's been in development for so long and there's budgets, there's people's livelihoods, there's quarterly reports, it, there's everything going on, or well, earnings reports, I say, I guess. Like there's there's so many factors in there that you can't delay it until it gets to where it would be better received politically and socially, where it's it's going to have to fit where it fits. And unfortunately, it just, you know, it, it didn't click. Even when I saw the the first even when I saw the first gameplay and idea of it, it, it like I'd said earlier, it didn't feel like that was something that's like, wow, that's that's getting a little close to home. And, uh, you know, like you said, when we see this stuff, it feels like even though it's a fantasy, it's when you see it so up close in real life, the 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 cracks in the armor show and the oversimplification of these incredibly intricate systems really stand out where they probably wouldn't have in any other year. Yeah, it just it feels really tone deaf. Right. And like it doesn't get it at all. It it feels out of step. And the thing is, like I said, to kind of come back to like the gameplay it's an okay map game. And I think that's kind of the highest praise that I'm willing to give it at this point based on where I landed with it. It's an okay map game. Um, you know, if you want a map game where you pick away at objectives on a map 
as you kind of like do something else in the background. Like if you're going to put it in an audiobook or a podcast and you just kind of run around this open world game and like check things off the list, it's not a bad game for that. It's okay. You know, it's not my favorite. I don't love it. It's not as good as like an Assassin's Creed or Ghost of Tsushima, which I absolutely loved earlier this year. Um, you know, it's not one of my top open world games where you have a million map objectives, but it's also not a horrible one. Like it's okay. So if you're really craving that kind of game, maybe take a look. If you liked the other two Watchdog games, then definitely take a look. You probably will find a lot here that you'll like because this is improvements on those systems. I just, where I landed with it was that I could see they're trying to do interesting things. The things that were new were fascinating to me and kept me hooked for a good six-ish hours. Um, you know, and I ended up playing probably four more after that. So I'm like 10 hours into the game. But overall, I just, I kind of expected more. So it was a little bit of a letdown is where I landed with it. That that does make me sad because I I actually think I have some of the Watch Dogs games on Steam that I've never tried. And honestly, hearing you say that about the new one kind of makes me want to go play them just to get a feel for for how all of this plays together. Yeah, um, I've heard some people say that in some respects, two is better than this one. Um, I can't speak to that because I didn't play enough of two. But, you know, I like I, I pointed out all the cracks that I ran into with this one. So if you've played earlier ones, maybe maybe those are better. I don't know. It's very open for debate. Yeah, it, it seems like something that, like I said, I'll play when it goes on Super Sale because it sounds super interesting, just not a brand new kind of game for me. And I hope yeah. somebody out there listening to this really likes this game because there are so many things and elements of it that I want to to experience, like 6G Grandma. That sounds awesome. And I just can't wait to do it when it's not absurdly expensive. Like, this is a Gamefly kind of release for me. You know, it's one that I would like to try. Uh, it could potentially be a Steam purchase that I refund and know that I'm going to going in. Yeah, absolutely. No, I would I would definitely look at it as that kind of game, unless you're someone who really likes Watch Dogs, in which case you probably go get it because, like I said, it, it follows on that formula, but it does better. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where I landed with it. That's and I know it comes as a weird thing right now because we're recording this on election night. And so you have a whole headspace full of, you know, like you were talking about the current culture. So even playing this right, literally right now when you did is giving you a slightly different coloration of the game, too. So I'm I'm curious to see how other folks are 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 responding to this one and how it'll look and feel next year when it goes on sale. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to watch the discourse around this one as it progresses. Um, so before we get into Weekly Geekery, don't forget, you guys can support the podcast. We have a Patreon at patreon.com slash geek to geekcast which actually supports the digital magazine, which what's the newest on the digital magazine? Uh, the newest... The newest issue is out, the Halloween issue that we did. We know it's after Halloween now, but it's talking about spooky games, uh, things like Luigi's Mansion and how we get into like gothic games. Uh, uh, Steve has a really cool article about Castlevania games. Data Error has a really awesome article on how there are horror games for cowards uh, like him. And uh, it, it's really, really cool. So y'all can uh, check that one out at patreon.com slash geek 
Geekcast. And if you're listening to this new, if you're listening to this when it airs, uh, pay attention to all of our Twitters, uh, the at Geek2Geek Media Twitter, at Geek2Geekcast, and then all of our individual ones, because this weekend, Elenzia and Capsule J and a bunch of other folks are doing extra live streams. So if you want to be able to join in on any of the good charity work that they're doing, tune in, support the streams, donate, do all of that. Just check out our individual Twitters and Twitches. And uh, I know that's going to be going on on the 7th. Uh, I'm not sure what other days they're planning on anything, uh, but absolutely check those out. We wanted to give a shout out uh, to both Extra Life 2020 and to everybody who's doing cool stuff. So if you're doing cool stuff, let us know so that we can boost your signal. Awesome. Hey, yeah, and don't forget, we're part of a network. We have podcasts, we have streamers, we have the Geekery blog, all that and more at geek2geekmedia.com or geek2geekmedia.com slash subscribe to get it sent right to you. That brings us to Weekly Geekery, where we share what we've been geeking out about this week. You still playing WoW? You still doing D&D? I am. That's basically what I've done over the last week, uh, pretty much exclusively. Uh, I got my new Void Elf Warlock up to 50. The new leveling experience is absolutely fantastic, and I cannot recommend it enough. If anyone has wanted to go back to WoW or join in, and you've never played it before but been intimidated, the new experience is amazing, especially for former players, because you can choose zone by zone where you level now. There's no leveling progression uh, other than just you choose an expansion and you can go through those zones. Uh, basically, every zone is leveled and it scales to your level and you have some that are 10 to 50. You have some that are 15 to 50, 30 to 50. But in general, the entire game scales to you in one way or another. So you can just pick where you go. I basically picked all of the horror themed zones because I was doing it in October. So I was able to go through like Drustvar and Duskwood and places like that and different demon themed areas in uh, Legion uh, and just do whatever I wanted. And it was the best alt experience I've ever had in the game in the last 16 years that That's I know cool. that. Yeah, it's really cool. I am. I cannot recommend it nearly enough to people who, like me, don't like playing alts because they get burned out on playing the same zones over and over and over again. For the first time, we have access to every single zone in the game in any order we want to play them in. It is awesome. Oh, uh, I keep sweet. trying. I, I made the mistake of because everything levels up with you. Um, I decided that I was going to go to an area called the Isle of Thunder that was back in uh, Pandaria where you can get the item that gives warlocks their green fire quest, where all of your fire abilities uh, are green with Fellfire. And unfortunately, until you're level 50, that zone levels up with you. And at 50, it goes back down to its base, which now is about 35-ish, 37-ish. And um, those bosses are hard unless you're, you're level 50, that when those rare mobs come around, uh, they are, they're no joke until you hit max level and they scale back down. Uh, so I've been making rounds of the, over the last couple of days trying to get my green fire book. So hopefully I'll get that before too much longer. I think that's going to be kind of a daily thing for me. And nice. I also found out that now I joined Demise Guild on Argent Dawn. I had no idea until I saw Belgast post on Twitter that that's the same guild he's in. That uh, I saw uh, his name and I saw his uh, on in game. I was like, 
that can't be it. Then I saw him post that he got his headless horseman uh, uh, mount finally through the Halloween event after all these years. And I saw in guild chat that he, the same stuff that was in his screenshot. And I'm like, holy cow, I did not know that that was the same guild, but I think that's awesome. So I've run across even more friends uh, in the game that I'll be able to play with this year. And Dungeons and Dragons, I'm so excited about right now. Like, remember, I guess it was last year when I was able to find the Adventurers League stuff and and got to play and got really excited about it and then kind of fell off. Yeah. Uh, when Austin did all of this and got the free stuff from work uh, and, you know, the marketing totally worked because we've both bought uh, more D&D stuff now. Um, and with, especially with you talking about Adventure Begins, um, I, I remembered how much I like this game. And so my wife and me and my nephew played Adventure Begins the other day uh, when they came over before Halloween, and it's great. You were totally right. It is absolutely perfect to bring someone into these mechanics, and the rotating DMing is amazing. And both my wife and my nephew loved it. So my nephew then wanted to make his own map for us to play the next day. He wanted us to play real D&D, and he wanted to make a map of a place that we went through. And so I think I texted you about this, where he made a map called Buttsylvania. Yeah, it sounds like you're running very different types of D&D than I am. He, I, I do. I mean, I am very open to what they do, what they want to do whenever I run a game. And he's 10, and he is absolutely one of those kids who he thinks butts and poop is the funny are the funniest things in the world. And so by the end of that first game, like we actually I actually did give him a section where he DM'd stuff as well and we kind of walked through, you know, what kinds of things that you were able to do. And I ended up at some point um getting a staff of explosive diarrhea. We ended up fighting a poop tentacle. We found a boy pooping in an alley. Uh, we fought some tresims and red caps. Uh, and he learned to speak the language butt tongue uh, while he was doing that, which is fr- he learned that from when the stop when we stopped the giant evil butt from <laughs> from capturing all of the good butts in their giant floating golden cage when he took over the city he learned how to speak butt tongue at that point and it's just like oh my goodness this is this is what my life is now and i think that's okay but that, yeah that's yeah yeah you're running very different types of games than i am <laughs> Yeah, and uh, so I've got one this weekend I'm excited about. Austin wanted to play D&D for his birthday, so I'm really excited. I'm running a module that I found. Like, Austin loves boats and and water and all of stuff like that. Like, like basically everything nautical he, want, he loves. And so I found a really cool one-shot adventure about stuff like that, about ghosts and sea hags and merfolk and stuff like that, and it's going to be really fun. We're doing that on Friday night, so I'm, I'm really really excited to be able to play and do that where it's not going to be Buttsylvania, where it can be an actual, you know, full on real D and D game. Uh, we did part of the dra- uh, I think it was dragons of Ice spire peak that came with the essentials kit uh, the other night with like dwarven cultists and stuff. Me, him and his, uh, his wife played over, uh, over zoom over, over squad cast actually, but it was a lot of fun. So I'm having a bunch of fun and I'm about to really, 
really dig in on some more actual plays to to see mechanics and stuff. I'm going to watch uh, Bama Shox's uh, here on the network, uh, his King of the Heel that he does, uh, listen to Todd's stuff that they're getting going, and uh, then Adventure Zone. And I have a question for you about the actual play stuff. Yeah. Two things. One, is the Friends at the Table you talked about, the good one, the partisan stuff, is it sci-fi or is it fantasy? Um, Partisan is sci-fi, but they go back and forth season by season into different settings. So they do have um, fantasy stuff. They have, I think Dungeon World is the main one that they play in the fantasy setting. But yeah, Yeah, Partisan, the one that I really was recommending, that's sci-fi. I was I've also heard Dungeon World is a great system that I've been reading stuff and I think I think that's what it's called isn't it? that's the system of of RPG they're playing it's called Dungeon World right Yeah yep and that's that's what I was thinking because I've seen it recommended as a nice simple straightforward RPG system and so I want to listen to it to see how that goes and then my other question to you is why is Critical Role so popular I don't know. I I've never been out. able to get into it. Like I've tried that one and it just never clicked with me. Um, but they have a huge following. Yeah. I like, I see people posting about it all the time. Like they have official D and D, uh, books and, and source books and, and worlds. Like I'm, I'm super excited for them as a group, but I watched the first episode of season two and I don't get it. Like, I think the Adventure Zone is much better put together. And I don't know if it's because I spent the time to get to know those characters and laughing or uh, laughing with them uh, what it was. But the I'm going to give Critical Role another shot because I know they are so unbelievably popular. But I was wondering if you knew just what it was that clicked with people to make that one in particular uh, so massively popular. Because the one episode that I saw, it didn't do anything for me well i think the two things like i said it never clicked with me but the two things as i understand it that made them as popular as they are is that um they were one of the earliest ones so there weren't a lot of other ones out there right you didn't have a lot of choice which that always helps and then the other thing is that a bunch of them are actually actors or voice actors so they're good at playing characters or doing voices of characters and those two things combined i'm sure help them in their production quality I got you. That that makes sense because when I was looking up who it was that was playing, they were voice actors a lot. And I'm like, okay, that that makes a lot more sense than, you know, me trying to be a dwarf or something because the best part about it, and I don't know her name, was uh, one of the characters was playing, I think she was a gnome rogue, and she was the best part of it. Like, listening to her do the, do the squeaky little, the squeaky little voice, I can't do it. Um I ought to click the wow mic right now and just do the gnome voice uh, because that's why I'm recording on you, Mike, tonight. Um, but that was the best part of it. And I'm so, so yeah, you saying that, I can totally see how that would be the, be a, a drawing point to it. So I want to, a, a reason people are flocking to it. So I really want to figure this one out. Like I can't wrap my head around it, but that, that kind of helps me narrow it down on what to really focus on to see what people are, uh, are adoring. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, for me this week, I, I watched Once Upon a Snowman. Have you seen this? I have not. I have not heard about it, but I'm about to write it down so that I can look it up because that sounds exactly it's, the kind of thing that I love. So it's a short 
um it's a short spinoff of frozen of like the first one so it's Olaf. oh i saw that on disney plus then yeah, i disney didn't know plus. the name of it i saw the olaf short uh i didn't know what it was called but yeah that 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 yeah i've seen where that is it's good i liked it i watched it a few times and it made me laugh every time so it's basically what happens to olaf between when elsa creates him as she's having as she's in the middle of singing let it go um you know, on walking her way up to the ice palace. And when he actually shows up in the story, when he runs into like Anna and Kristoff in uh, the like crystalline okay. forest. Um, so it's just like 10 minutes and it's, it's funny because it's all Olaf, right? It just, it works really well. So I liked that short. And then that took me into watching um, the making of frozen two. And so it's called, uh-huh. in- into the unknown making frozen two and it was a fantastic behind the scenes it was like uh six episodes and it's all about the last kind of year leading up to the release of the movie so it was well into production but it wasn't locked at all by the time that they started the like the the documentary behind it and I just love watching the production process. Like it's the same enjoyment that I get out of watching like the Disney gallery, the Mandalorian behind the scenes stuff. Um, the structure was just different, right? It's like these episodes are sequential for frozen Two, So you actually see it as like their production ramps up and as the pressure ramps up and as the time and deadlines loom nearer and nearer. And that was really cool. So I like that series a lot. And so I have a question about that then. This is going to actually have spoilers for uh, this is going to have spoilers for Frozen 2 for just the next like minute or so. Um, But so so y'all who haven't seen it, just give give me a brief moment to ask this question. In Frozen 2, at the end, when Elsa saves Arendelle, right? Yeah. Does this documentary discuss why they uh, they pulled back and made her save Arendelle uh, when it seems like they were pulling their punch on talking about colonialism and uh, and the effect that uh, people have and that it has on native people? Like it really seems like they were making a lot of commentary in that movie and that Arendelle was going to pay the price for what they were doing. And then Elsa saves it, and there was no real no real consequences for all of the stuff. So did they actually discuss on why they pulled their punches at the end of the movie? No. she. I mean, she was always um, going to save it. It wasn't really pulling that. a punch. It was just Man. the way that they made the story. It feels like, like watching it. I've only seen it the one time, but Jennifer and I were both sitting there, and we 100% expected that town to be destroyed. Uh, because of the way that the narrative brought it to that point. And we felt like it, that we, it felt like a focus group issue kind of thing where people didn't like it. And so they changed it. And so I was curious if that was in the documentary, if that was something they actually discussed or not. So eh, I guess they do. They talk about how the test audiences shape the movie and how they had to make changes to simplify certain parts, explain some parts better, tighten other things up. Okay. Um, it that part was really fascinating because it was as they were trying to get they were getting really close to like locking the story before everything finally goes into production all the way um, right. and they had to make a bunch of changes so that part was super interesting and it's also really cool to watch them 
struggle with certain parts of the story because you can tell that some of the parts just like they come together and it's no problem and then there are other pieces where they like they just can't figure it out and they just go mm-hmm. over it and over it and over it um and so like certain songs that just don't come together or songs that get cut entirely or songs that they add and it's just like oh yeah that works perfectly and they just roll with it right um, so i really liked seeing that part of the process the story breaking part of it like that sounds super interesting that kind of stuff i'm super interested in uh narratology and narrative theory is really something that i've always been in love with so whenever you're talking about that like that being part of the the making of documentary it makes me want to go jump on that right now yeah it's it's really good and then of course i watched frozen 2 afterwards because i had to at that point (laughs) um the other thing i did this week was i read or i finished reading um dresden files the last two books so peace talks and battleground and peace Uh, talks has been out since like september maybe maybe august um and battleground just came out in october i don't know they came out like two months apart so know that there was a new one past peace talks like i've read everything up to peace talks and uh, i haven't read it or battleground yet so do you know the deal with these two and what Uh, this vaguely yes I'll, i'm gonna need a i'll read a recap but yeah i know what was going on and leading up to it yeah okay so not even from like the story perspective i'm talking about in the real world with these two books <laughs> kind of like i haven't really kept up with it but but you could fill me in like i knew early on and i've kind of forgotten about a lot of it with the drama and stuff okay so it's been a really long time since the dresden files book came out and the reason is because Jim Butcher was starting to write the next Dresden Files book, um, and it got to be really, really big, and it was a one complete story, but it was huge, and he realized how big it was going to be. He let his publisher know, and the publisher said, no, we're not going to publish the book if it's that big, and he basically said, this is the story. I have to release this as like one story. And they said, well, we have to break it into two books. And so the compromise that they landed on was that they wouldn't make him release the first book until both of them were done and he could release them close to each other. So, okay. These two books just came out, but they came out like two or three months apart. So I think peace talks was like the end of the summer, beginning of the fall and battleground just came out like a, a couple weeks ago. So, I waited until they were both out and then I just read them back to back because I knew that they were one story and doing it that way. It really truly feels like one story, like it should be one book. And I think he did as best of a job as you could possibly do making that break between the two of them. Because when you finish the first one, it feels like it's an okay pausing point, but it's not the end of the story. You know, it's just a pause and there's more to come. So that's where battleground comes in and it picks up right where that one leaves off. So that's absolutely the way to read these two is just back to back. And that's the, that's the kind of thing that like, I haven't read them since was it ghost story that came right before peace? No, that was a couple back, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. Whichever the last one was, uh, I remember like it being years ago and me looking forward to peace talks. And then like, it's, I haven't, even looked at Dresden Files since then, so it's going to definitely be... Like, it used to be one where I would read those on the day that they released. And since it was so long between it, I I obviously got out of that. And so now I've got to go back and refresh myself and then get into that one. But I'm glad to know that both of that entire story are out now by the time I find out about it. Yeah, it feels like these two together are a huge pivot into whatever the rest of the series is going to be like leading up to the end because yeah 
it was one of those things where he said early on that he had the entire series planned out, but it was like 26 books or 30 books or something, you know, like not a short series, but he always knew where he was going with it. And collectively, these two together feel like a huge pivot towards the end game that it will eventually lead to. Okay, good, because that was something that that I could tell they were leading up to, but I had no idea, like, I had no idea how they were going to be getting there, and so I'm I'm excited about that. And uh, just thinking about this made me look up right now the the new Brandon Sanderson book, uh, Rhythm of War, talking about books that I've been just waiting on to come out, uh, comes out this month. Uh, that's what I was thinking that uh, the new Stormlight book comes out. So so I've got a whole lot of fantasy books right now that I'm going to be able to dig into. Sweet. Uh, I think that's probably it for this week. You guys can write to us with comments, suggestions, or feedback. Our email address is geek2geekcast at gmail.com or reach us on Twitter at geek2geekcast. We also have some great discussions on Slack and Discord. You can go to geek2geekmedia.com for invite links. And while you're there, make sure to check out all the other content on our network, like blogs and video game reviews, and of course, our digital magazine, Press Start. I blog at agreenmushroom.com, and you can find me at grnmushroom. That's green mushroom without the E's on Twitter. I'm also on the Disney Forever podcast, where we watch and react to a different Disney movie every week. And I'm on Twitter as at Professor Beege, uh, that's Beege with two E's, and I also co-host the Dragon Quest FM podcast, a show about the Square Enix RPG series. We've been Void and Beege with your geek to geek podcast. That'll do it for this week. See you next week, geeks. Bye, geeks. When toxic culture has you down. When you're just looking to laugh and have fun. Kick back and enjoy watching a video game. Or just make some new friends. It's time to visit the geek to geek Media Network. A community of podcasters, streamers, and bloggers. Well, more of a family than a community. All dedicated to geeking out about the things we love. Things like... Video games. Star Wars. Beep, 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 beep. Comics. Movies, K-pop, Disney Plus, Keanu. Keanu Reeves, new, or whatever our community decides is the next best thing. That's right. We have a great online community on Slack and Discord where we chat about our weekly geekery with listeners and viewers. And each other. Yep. And each other in real time. And we can't wait for you to join us. So come check us out at geek2geekmedia.com. And escape toxic fandom for something much more... Keanu? Yes. Keanu.